From Sin Media in Melbourne, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Hello and welcome to uh, Great Minds Don't Think Alike for the 12th of March. Well, at least that's when the episode should be going live. <laughs> uh, you're with me, Cal, and... Um, Julia? Right. And uh, today we'll be talking about... Well, we'll be talking about the ladies. Yes, the ladies. Yes, because it was, <laughs> it was International Women's Day uh, uh, recently, so we'll be talking about the ladies. Uh, we'll also be talking about the NDIS, because that's incredibly important, and yeah, I believe it's important for everybody who, who has a medically registered mental disorder. It kind of supports them throughout the entirety of their life. If you'd like to get in touch with Great Minds Don't Think Alike, you can, or you can follow our Facebook page. You can yep. follow our Twitter. We have WordPress. And <laughs> you can keep listening to this show. Yes, you can. Uh, um, you can listen to more of our shows um, on Omni as well. We've got quite a large amount of shows that we've done for almost two years now, which is pretty, pretty full on. Yeah, so you can really get yourself lost in all of that content. Recently, actually, I was on, I was watching the television because I'm an old man. Yes, um, <laughs> Not uh, no Netflix and chill for you. No Netflix and chill for me. Uh, and Seven Thirty came on, and they had a report on the NDIS, and they had a bit. They're having a lot of pragmatic concerns. If you don't know what the NDIS is, it was a, a policy instituted by then Prime Minister Julia Gillard, or it was actually conceived by Kevin Rudd as almost all Julia Gillard's policies yeah, were. Yeah. And it was designed to give uh, in insurance coverage to people with disabilities, given that the private market usually has problems insuring uh, disabled people. And the, the crux the, the crux of the, the scheme by itself is to provide support through the entirety of somebody's life uh, through a disability uh, insurance scheme to give them packages and money and support and whatever yep. they require in order to live a good, full and happy life. <laughs> and would it also be also like if someone, you know, was in an accident or something and they became disabled? Yeah, they became also, disabled. They've also got... They would um, covered under the NDIS. Yeah. Um, which they would also, if they were injured instead of car crash, they would also be covered in the TAC. Uh, they're running into more pragmatic concerns. And the reason why I bring it up on this show is because they do have packages for people with autism. And I, I think I posted the uh, the report up today, actually, and I read through it. There's, there's an active transcript in the, in the video, and it, uh, it tells the story, of, uh, you know, the very personalised story of a, of a child um, who is struggling with Asperger's syndrome. But also it goes into the more pragmatic concerns that the NDIS estimated that this is how many people they would have to be serviced with packages for autism. And that number, that estimate, has been dwarfed by the actual number, which is double. And yeah. now they're having trouble, you know, securing funding for those people. Yeah. The CEO was very very much downplaying the problems. He said, we have enough we have enough things to go around. But there is a very pragmatic concern when you have sort of support packages that are running into sort of like the hundreds of thousands of dollars and precisely how the NDIS plans to pay for that. It is a pragmatic concern. Um, the moral concern is, of course, that we should be doing this anyway. Yeah. That you should, uh, no matter what you think about a person who is disordered or disabled, you should probably think uh, about how you can help them. And I guess, like, what do you consider would be the way to sort of flesh out the pragmatic concerns of this? As I said, like, the definition of pragmatic is what happens. Oh, yeah, like the uh, what happens, yeah, implementation it, of the... Realistic concerns as applied to 
as beyond theory. As I said, when the NDS was theorized, it's, it was very, very good. It was very, very far-reaching. It was kind of like the Gonski Review, which also is having ridiculous amount of trouble securing funding. The NDIS, inside the same vein, is has has run into a lot of hiccups, and because the, the, the their estimates are so wildly off base, people are of course now concerned that they'll have to cut back. That the parameters of what they decide of what support packages they should give to certain people would be restricted, so it can cut people out. Yeah. Of course, my concern is that you're. This should be more like it should be more like a hex that the government is investing inside you. Yeah. Um, early intervention is very much investment inside a person, so they can become um, fully functioning in inverted commas uh, later inside life, so they don't have any. So they don't have any more of the the how you say the difficulties associated with their 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 um, their disability or disorder. You saying? Did you say disability? Yes, I heard that oh, word. God. I did. <laughs> I know you would cringe at that. That's why I, I said it. I was cringing so badly. <laughs> this is why we need cringio, like cringio. radio. Cringio. But you can see cringes on radio. Oh god, that word is so bad. Yes, but uh, I do like the well-meaning intention behind it. <laughs> um, yeah. Despite my cynicism. I think I'm an optimist, um, <laughs> um, but as as I said, the, the more pragmatic concerns is that you know will they start restricting? For example, one of the concerns of the, the concerns of the little boy inside the inside the story was that he aged out of his support. I think he was seven; he was turning eight, and early intervention packages only cover people who are seven and below. Yeah, which is a huge like your autism community has been telling you this for years. You need support for adults because. Yeah, people we've grow only up. just like we you only got started diagnosing inside large numbers since about the seventies. Less earlier, later than that, like nineties. Really. Yeah, inside in, inside significant numbers, and there are those who have literally fallen through the cracks because they found out because they found out when they were like twenty one. They're already adults. Early intervention doesn't work because mm. you know it's not early enough, um, and. There is this, there is this sort of um, this discourse. Uh, what precisely is happening? But not only the diagnosis criteria, but how you react to somebody who does get diagnosed at the age of twenty-two. Because, as I said, psycho- uh, psych- psychology and psychiatry then tends to tends to deal with if you're diagnosed earlier, you are, it is considered more accurate because mm. of its more Freudian lineage. All of these concerns sort of dwarf the the, the 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 fact that the NDIS is running into pragmatic problems, and these problems do need to be overcome for the benefits of a large proportion of our society. It is not only a fight for uh, disabled people and disordered people to deal with their lives; uh, it is also a question of our moral character. If a society is truly good, they will seek to. F- to to help the less fortunate uh, have a good and fulfilling existence. Yeah. I like the idea of seeing it more of as a hex debt. So, like, the government is actually investing in people and, you know, actually want people to kind of, you know, actually flourish in it. And I think that that's actually a really good idea because I think a lot of people think 
Well, that was my argument. It should yeah. be seen like that. that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the best way to look at it. Um, I think also um, we we kind of we want to get to a point where people can find meaningful lives, and that kind of includes like I think I think also what we what might be the biggest problem with the NDIS is that it's actually what needs to change is not just within what the government can do, but also what society can do. So, you know, yeah, sure, the NDIS will be great as far as, you know, getting people medical or psychiatric or care-related resources, but we also need society to actually do things. So we need we need employers to actually kind of come to terms with the fact that they may have employees who are disabled. Um, we need... I guess perhaps better training of teachers so they can deal with disabled students and deal with them in a way that is not only good for their benefit but benefits other children and benefits. You know, I believe themselves. that the, the 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 teachers sort of thing. I believe that comes under the Gonski review. The NDIS tends to deal with sort of like remuneration packages. Like if you have a child with autism ADHD, they'll cover. Um, medication. Yeah. Uh, they'll have a medication package and then they'll have a physio package and have a speech pathology package that roll out according to the symptoms and uh, the needs. The, the symptoms and the needs that they, that needs to be addressed. Um, yeah. That, yeah. But I do feel like what is, um, what, what people might be feeling overwhelmed about in regards to the NDIS is, is the fact that, you know, the NDIS is only going to be one small part of a greater movement to include and help disabled people. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, I feel like to an extent people within the NDIS want an NDIS, get it done, things are going to be great. Whereas that just isn't going to happen like that. It's going to be multifaceted, but it's definitely going to be, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but it will definitely uh, nothing help. ever is, <laughs> but you know, as a, a going back to what you were saying, do you think that there is more of a societal problem than a government problem? Well, I mean, government falls under society, but I think you know. It, I mean, I guess it's a bit like say, I don't know, um, legislation or insurance about you know making sure that you know people of different races are are, are um, looked after correctly or you know not discriminated against and people of different genders are not discriminated against sometimes you get things in parliament on government that is you know, like perfect idealistic great but you need that to also filter out that filter into you know society at large yes but as in say Western liberal democracies, there is this sort of problem where the government can't literally cannot tell yeah, its people what to do. Exactly, it's what's called the separation of freedom. Exactly, but what I'm saying is that ultimately we need to give incentives for people. If we aren't, we aren't going to say, "Oh, by the way, you can't do this and you can't do this." You have to give incentives. Okay, employing a disabled worker is actually going to help you because you, as a taxpayer. You know, with less people perhaps being on on benefits, you know, it means that your taxes can go into bigger things because you're employing people. Yeah. Oh, and... it, as as I said, like the the, the cost associated with the NDIS, like the package, one of the packages cost eighty thousand dollars. I'm just like, well, that's nothing if this kid actually goes into society, gets a job, he'll be paying with his taxes. That plus, you know, over the course of his existence will pay that back plus, you know, a ridiculous amount of money. I can't even 
if we're going to it depends yeah. what field it goes into. I mean, but for you know. instance, if we think about it, if the end, if when the NDIS is all figured out, if like sixty percent of people who have been helped by the NDIS are able to become taxpayers, that's pretty amazing. And like that's fairly small amount, like only sixty percent. You know, that's pretty good. Governments are are really realistically inclined to try and help their people as much as possible. And this is just one of those ways that they can help people. But as I said, the more pragmatic concerns of, oh, we estimated this many people would have ADHD, and it's actually this number, which is significantly larger. We didn't expect that we would have to be paying this much. Uh, it's not a debt like... Um, it's not like a gambling debt. It's a debt that is going to be paid for into the future of those people. It's sort of like, it was, there was a Greek philosopher, I think it was, oh God, Herodotus said that old men must plant trees that they will never know the shade of. We went into Greek philosophy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know yet great minds don't think alike when it's neurodiversity. When, it, when it's Cal talking about ancient Greek philosophy. Um, um, yeah, so I mean, I feel like it's going to be growing growing pains, literally. Um because, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it, it's it's going to benefit people, like, on an individual level. It's going to benefit society. Um, we'll be more diverse. We'll have, you know, it'll be great to go and walk around the city and seeing, you know, more people who are clearly disabled employed. That's something that I'm, I'm really like to see, and that will be good for, for you know, young disabled people who want to look up to something as well. It'll probably be quite good for our economy. I'm always looking for the neoliberal reasons to do things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, well, oh, Tony Abbott's been kicked out, so you don't need to do that anymore. I know, you just have to justify it and say the classical liberal mentality now since we're under the thumb of Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we want an ideas boom, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's you're it's impeding actually... on that disabled man's freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so I guess I guess it's going to be something where um, you know people might be a little bit. There's going to be growing pains, but it will be quite interesting. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, we're going to uh, move on. Later on, we'll be talking about the ladies, and again, you'll be with uh, Cal and Julia. So we'll see you in the next segment. Hello guys, Nicola here. Today I'm talking about a news story that one of my friends on Skype, Kenny Benjamin, and his brother Brad were in. They are also known in an episode of MTV's True Life, where they try to be more independent and make people more aware about autism. The story was about a device they have created that you can wear on your arm that states you are autistic. The idea of this is so police can identify you as autistic so they can be more understanding in situations where you have a run-in with the police. This device has a USB with information about you, which may help police so they can understand that when they are struggling or having a breakdown or stressing out. This comes after the unfortunate death of Caden Clark, whose mental health call was mishandled by the police. While at first glance, it may seem like a good idea, and don't get me wrong, it could be a great help for police. But there may be issues with this device. <clears throat> Firstly, privacy issues. That can be an issue for some people on the spectrum if they don't want everyone knowing they have autism. 
Here's an example. Say you're in the grocery store going shopping and someone near you notices the device you have on your arm and laughs because you have autism or people bully you in the schoolyard over your diagnosis. That would be hurtful and sometimes embarrassing. Wearing a device like this may also make it difficult to get a job. It's hard enough to get a job for some people on the spectrum. We don't need to make it harder. Also, will it be the parent or guardian's choice for this, or the person on the spectrum themselves? For me, it depends on the person and the situations. I personally believe the person on the spectrum should decide. The only time the parents can is either when they are young or severely disabled, but this is difficult to define. The third thing is that this device has a puzzle piece. While I don't find it problematic personally, this is the same logo used by Autism Speaks and many autistic people have political views against it. Some autistic people view the puzzle piece symbol as dehumanizing and offensive, and that may be enough for someone to choose not to use this device. The final issue is if it will work and if it is the right way to stop autistic people being treated poorly by the police. To say that someone like Caden Clark wouldn't have been killed if he wore a device like this, this is in a way a form of victim blaming. Perhaps it should be the police who change, not autistic people. It's also about the effectiveness of this device. Would police really be that observant to see the device being worn? This idea is being trailed in America, the same country where Tamir Rice was shot dead or, or playing with a toy gu- for playing with a toy gun. And what about people who are non-autistic and in distress? They deserve not to be shot too. Perhaps it's time for police to learn how to deal with all people going through mental distress safely. There's so many things to think about before getting a simple thing, which, while may be helpful, in the long run, it still has a long way to go before it can be a great thing for people with autism. Before I end this segment, I want to give a shout out to Ed Princestairs, Kristen Jordan, and Kenny Benjamin for helping me with your opinions and thoughts. This is Nicola Howe, and I'll see you guys next time. You're back with Julia and Callan, and we are going to be talking about... Lead ladies. <laughs> um, so, in case you guys... Um, don't already know. Um, this week it was um, International Women's Day, our International Women Working Women's Day. If you're going to go back to its trade if union you're, roots, if you're an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about neurodiversity in women, which is like a bit of a nerdy like thing <laughs> thing that I'm into. But we've talked a lot about autism and women, and I think we've really established that, yes, there's a lot of problems there. But today I want to specifically talk about ADHD in women um, because there is a similar issue, actually very similar issue, with underdiagnosis of women and also overdiagnosis of boys with ADHD, yeah, apparently. Yeah, that is, that is a problem. So, um... So, but it is it is Ladies' Day. So. It is Ladies' Day. So I, I, will, ladies I, will, I will I will I will have you proceed. So, you may have the first blow. <laughs> um. So, basically, ADHD is kind of it has that stereotype of 
that... look, there's a squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a squirrel. But it's usually a young boy who can't sit down still, who is really, like, hyperactive and can't pay attention to things. You know, that kid in class. Um, when sometimes it's just that they can – sometimes it might not actually be ADHD. People are a little bit trigger-happy with putting the ADHD term on, you know, just anyone who's a little bit, like, hyperactive, just really excited. Like, I'm really excited. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. There's a thing. I, I, I have a term for, for, for those people who, are, who have been diagnosed with ADHD but don't actually have it. I call them the condemned. Yeah, I know, because they just squeezed into a box because they want—they don't want to have to deal with the nuances of their problems. Yeah. Here's some Ritalin. Please go away now. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And Everything um, always is. As it always is. In girls, the symptoms are often hidden. Girls try really hard to hide their symptoms of ADHD. And this means that they can get undiagnosed, or not diagnosed at all, sometimes people only, sometimes women who only realise that they might have ADHD in their late teens or early 20s, and this is when... This is when puberty begins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's it's kind of like a a bit of a difficult issue for them. It can't, like, not being diagnosed with ADHD can lead to issues later in life, uh, mental health issues, for instance. Well, obviously, they would, they would just lack the early intervention. Y- yeah. So much like autism, early research on ADHD has really focused on young white boys. And this is also, like, part of the problem is because we, because most samples, samples have been of men or young, young boys, they don't really know what it is like in women. So the kind of onset of symptoms for, for girls is around six to sorry, seven to to twelve. And there's also adult onset ADHD, which doesn't mean you didn't have ADHD before. It's just kind of it's only kind of become obvious. Um, symptoms manifest. Women with ADHD who are diagnosed later have issues with is structure and you know, work life balance and not really getting all the stuff done and like forgetting little things and you know not really having order so this was originally from science of us and um a a a woman said in a first person piece she was told to just chill out when she mentioned that she was panicked um about a new job to her partner and the partner was like you don't have adhd you're just lazy and isn't that oh, an, a little boy thing? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of just like, you know, people kind of think that they can be lazy or they're not doing stuff or they're not in order, but actually they do have ADHD and it's a bit of a big problem. Um, as far as issues that can, can actually be resulted from having ADHD without knowing that you have ADHD, it's issues like self-esteem issues, eating disorders, becoming involved in emotionally abusive relationships, and things like suicide and self-injury. Yeah, so it's a, it's just like, it's a very common thread through a lot of different issues um, that women or girls are kind of overlooked. Um, so in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, diagnosis of ADHD um shot 55% for girls between 2003 and 2011, 
and in those same eight years, 40% more boys were diagnosed. So among women aged 26 to 34, ADHD prescriptions spiked up 85% between 2008 and 2012 alone. And it's, it's kind of that it's, it is different. Um, according to Jenny Anderson, um, unlike boys, many of whom show hyperactivity, girls' systems veer more towards inattentiveness and disorganisation. Girls tend to develop ADHD later than boys. They frequently mask it in an attempt to conform to society's expectations that they are on the ball and organised. And while some ADHD symptoms can be less intense for boys, they can after they pass through puberty, for many girls it gets worse. So as a kid, being a little bit inattentive and disorganised is okay, but once you reach adulthood, it's a bit more of a problem. So you, you said that uh, the, the amount of diagnosis has gone up 55 as opposed to 40 for, for men. Yeah, but and they were the reading... amount of medication that is being dispensed is also increasing. Yeah, but prior to that, a lot of men were already diagnosed. So there might have been oh, okay. even more... Like diagnosis, it, it, yes. It it seems like it's the, the the problem seems to be correcting itself. Yeah, um, and it's good to see that there is actually a beginning of discussion about this, yeah. and that's actually really it's actually very good that we are even having this conversation. But it is just a reminder that there is this kind of idea that neurodiversity is only a boys thing. Oh, I think it comes more down to stereotypes, really. Yeah. It's it's more like kind of like profiling. Mm. It's what do you think when you think autism? You think basement-dwelling nerd who doesn't have any friends and he's typically male and probably smashing keys in front of him. Uh, if you think ADHD, you're probably thinking the same thing. Uh, it's probably, In fact, I think of somebody who in prep who gets easily distracted by birds flying across the, the window screen. Yeah. We don't often think we, female when we think disorder. Yeah. Which I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's actually a really bad thing because, you know, there is this kind of idea of women having to be, like, perfect all the time. Mm. Be that perfect... You're either the perfect housewife or the perfect, you know, business person. And, Superwoman. You know, you're, and if you're both at the same... Or if, you, if you're married and have kids and if you have a job, you're a superwoman, yeah. um, which is annoying. It's really awful. And it's, it is also, like... You know, if a woman has a problem, people have always kind of seen them as just, you know, that crazy psycho lady rather than, you know, okay, yeah, that person has difficulties with stuff. So does that guy. That guy also has difficulty with the same thing and he's not completely psycho. And so why why are we thinking her of completely psycho, you know? So, like, it is kind of, you know, we have to... Remember that men and women are both women. Uh, sorry, men and women. <laughs> <laughs> women and women are both men. What? <laughs> but we're both like human. Yes. Like we are both part of the species of man. <laughs> I think that's what Julie was trying to get at. <laughs> um, but like human, as in like, will have problems with stuff. May have mental issues. May have disabilities. So. You know, it is important to actually look out for both people. Yeah. I, going off what you were said, I think there is more of a hard failure state for women inside society. Yeah. That is, like, they'll have, like, the supports are fine up until that point. As soon as you get your fourth cat, you're a goner. If women have a problem, they, like, they'll go to the social circle and we'll be fine. Um, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more social stuff for women. Like, women tend to have more... Um, 
networks of friends and that's really helpful mm. and like men you know for things like depression and PTSD and stuff you know that's where men have problems because they don't have that circle so- social circle as often I mean this is again very very generalistic yeah um, well yeah even even so that stuff like the hardcore medical community they, they're, they're now saying that symptoms of heart attacks and uh, strokes manifest differently inside women because of yes. the physiology. Yes. And <laughs> everyone, everyone's just like, okay, this makes sense because ADHD and autism, they manifest differently within the sexes because of physiology. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure if it manifests differently because of physiology when it comes to oh, ADHD. Yeah, actually, it might be because of socialization. I think it's but, mainly yeah. about socialization. Um, I feel like there's definitely a lot more pressure for women and girls to socialize. Mm. So they socialize more than um, perhaps other neurodiverse men. But they've socialized in different ways to new, to non-neurodiverse women, but, even if they are social. But, and here's the, here's the crux of the question I have. Is, is, is that a problem? Because this, if, if, indeed that the, if indeed that they're cloaking so well... Um, but the, I think the thing is that cloaking isn't actually helpful. Yes, it's kind of like wearing a mask, isn't it? It's like wearing a mask. It's kind of like, you know, if, if the guy with PTSD, you know, doesn't show that he's got problems, you know, he's cloaking it as well. Hmm. But he'll cloak it until he tries to kill himself. Uh, he might have a great see. job. He might have a good family life. He might be looking amazing and, like, he's got a good life. But then suddenly things happen mm. and that's why cloaking or masking isn't or passing isn't actually very helpful sure from the outside it looks great but you know sure this person just looks like a really busy you know working person but it, when things just spiral and they're so disorganized because of their ADHD that they haven't been diagnosed or, of or there's this outward pressure just clothing you know, you know then snowballs yes so, you know, if they were diagnosed with ADHD, if they did know that they have organisational issues, and by organisational issues, we mean actual clinical organisational issues, you know, they could stop that from happening. I can see sort of like the, the, the typical sort of ethical concerns with this, because at least inside uh, psychology, if there isn't like, if there isn't sort of like a direct harm that's involved, they t- won't tend to give you the diagnosis because, you know, it's not harming you, so you don't But it might know. harm you later. Yeah, it might harm you later, in which case they'll just give you the diagnosis then. But wouldn't it be nice to have some sort of prevention? Yes and no. It, 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 uh, at least inside, inside the psychology books that I've read, it needs to be a problem. Like, if you show all the manifestations of autism, but it isn't a problem, they won't tend to give you the diagnosis because it isn't a problem. It tends to be more of this... Asa, they tend to deal with issues rather than going, eh, like, this doesn't seem to affect you, don't worry about it. Uh, but if if indeed women manifest differently, then you have a double-edged sword here. It is causing problems and you're not recognising it. But also, like, you know, you can have a beginning of problems. So you might have a person who, yeah, sure, seems a little bit disorganised, probably has ADHD, but we're not going to give it to her yet because she hasn't like gone completely nuts because of the disorganization mm. you know like i i think it, even though like there's only like a minor problem like that could still be a thing worthwhile saying well yeah that that's up to the individual practitioner and i think in most cases they will probably go yeah you are you have disorganized this will cause a problem 
at some point in the future, in which case, he's a diagnosed with ADHD, please seek preventative measures. Assistance, or yeah. like, you know, at least knowing other people who have the same condition, then you can bond over that. Yeah. You know, that that's also good. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like a little discussion that we've got for um, International Women's Day, and it's mm. also all we have time for today. Yes. Um, you can listen to all of our awesome shows on Omni. Um, we also have some shows on the SIN website, but we are using Omni much more. Um, so we've got we've got literally so many shows on Omni, so just go nuts. Mm. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at GMDTA Media. And that's with a little at at the beginning. <laughs> I forgot the little at. And yes. um, follow us on Facebook. Literally, if you look up Great Minds Don't Think Alike, we are the first people there. Um, we have a colourful banner. We do have a very colourful banner. Um, tune in in the next fortnight for our new show. And, yeah. Uh, uh, have a good one. And, yeah, also, additionally, if we did mention some pretty hardcore mental illnesses, so if you were feeling a little bit upset by that, you can call Lifeline at, on 13 11 14. Um, hopefully you don't need to, but, yeah, just look after it's yourself. It's always there. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see you uh, in two weeks' time. Yeah. You've see been you with Cal. And Julia. And this is Great Minds Don't Think Alike. <laughs>